It started with one and continued with many, sent by God and compelled by the gospel. We proclaim the hope of salvation, arrested by grace. We run the race and find ourselves truly liberated. Hey, how are you guys doing this weekend? Good, it's good to see you. I'm Jeff Surratt, one of the teaching pastors here at Seacoast. And it's always fun to be able to uh, share with you on a weekend. Hey, I want to say hi to those of you joining us from one of our other venues or another campus, or you might be joining us on the internet. We are uh, we're excited to have you along as, as well. This weekend, we're going to uh, conclude our series, uh, Liberated. In fact, we're going to finish the book of Acts. Uh, Acts has 28 chapters, so we have taken about a chapter a week, and so we're 28 weeks or so into into this, and it's been a lot of fun, and, and we're going to finish up today with Liberated. We're going to talk about finding freedom. And so I want you just to think for a minute, what does freedom mean to you? But go back in time a little bit. When you were, when you were young, you, way, 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 way back, you know, before electricity, all that kind of stuff. When you were young, what did freedom sound like to you? What did you think of when you thought of freedom? I, th- I think the first memory I have of thinking about what it would like, uh, be like to be free was when I thought about getting my training wheels off my bike. You know, I had a little bike, had a little training wheels, and a little girl next door, she was the same age I was, her name was Babette, and she got the training wheels off of her bike. And I was tired of being, you know, dogged at school by this little girl, you know, she could ride, I couldn't. So, man, I, if I could just get my training wheels off, then I would be free. And then finally the day came, and and Dad took the training wheels off, and I was able to ride my two-wheeler and ride it around, but... There was one rule. I could not leave our block. And I knew that freedom was just going around the block. If I could just go around the block one, I knew what was on the, what had to be on the other side. Mom, mom was just trying to keep me from, Disney World was probably the next block over. And I just had, if I could just have the freedom to go around the block, it would be awesome. Finally, the day came, mom said, all right, you can go around the block. And I, oh man, I got on my bike. I rode around the block and guess what was there? Exactly the same thing as on my block. It was so disappointing. There wasn't freedom there. And then being a boy, you know what the next step of freedom was. What's the next step for any, any boy in America growing up? That Freedom. Car, driver's license. Absolutely. And when I get to be 16 years old, I can drive a car. And I can drive without mom or dad in the front seat or the back seat. I can be by myself or I can have my friends. I can drive. It will be freedom. Finally, at 16, I got my license. I, fi- I was set free. I loved it. I could drive where I wanted, when I wanted. Didn't have to have anybody else in the car. And then I got my first speeding ticket. And I realized I wasn't quite as free as I thought I was. And so then freedom became when I would move out of the house and go to college. So when I was 18, I moved away, moved three hours away, went to college. I was free at last, free at last. I could stay up as late as I wanted. I could do what I wanted to. I could dress the way I wanted to. Mom wasn't always on me telling me to study and get to school and go to class. I just lived a free life for one semester. Did you know that at the end of a semester at college, they have something called finals, you know? I didn't understand what final meant until I failed my finals. And then I had a little conversation with mom and dad. Again, freedom kind of shrunk in a little bit. 
So then I knew that freedom wasn't college. Freedom was when I really got out on my own, when I got married, when I got away from mom and dad and I, I married my best friend, Sherry, and it just, it was awesome. And then we started getting these things in the mail called bills. And then freedom just wasn't what I thought it was. What about for you? I mean, what keeps you from feeling free today as an adult or as a teenager? What keeps you from feeling free? For some of you, you know, it may be work. Maybe every day you get up and sing the work song. You know the work song? I owe, I owe, so off to work I go, you know? Or maybe it's a marriage or a relationship just keeps you feeling, you feel bound in that. Or, or some of you, you may have habits that you've tried to break again and again and again, and, and they just keep coming back. Or, or maybe it's fear, or, or, or maybe it's guilt, or, or there's something that just keeps you from feeling free. Well, that's what we want to talk about this weekend. How can we experience freedom? We're going to see in Acts 28 what freedom really looks like. And then how does that apply to our lives? As we dive in, would, would you pray with me? Father, I just thank you. I thank you for this weekend and the opportunity to share. Lord, I pray that you'll speak through me, that, that I can be transparent. Lord, I pray that whatever words I speak are just words that come from you and not, not something that I, I think up, come up with on my own. Lord, we just want to learn from your word and from your example of the Apostle Paul. So, Lord, we just turn over the next few minutes to you and listen to your voice in your name. Amen. You know, when we talk about freedom, that's one of the central tenets of Christianity. Um, if you talk to anyone who knows much about being a Christian, being a Christ follower, eventually they'll talk about this concept of freedom because it's, it's one of the foundational things that Jesus talked about. In fact, in, in John chapter 8, Jesus said, to the, to the Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word and you are, uh, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. A little bit later in that same chapter, he says, so if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So our question is, is how do we experience the freedom that Jesus promised? Well, to get to that, we're going to go back to Acts. We're going we're to finish up Acts 28. But let's kind of recap real quickly what we've learned in Acts. So we'll go through, what do you say? Let's go through the entire book of Acts. Does that sound good? You guys pack a lunch. We'll say, let's see if we can get through quickly. But just as a reminder, Acts begins in Acts chapter 1. Jesus has been crucified. He's resurrected. He's appeared to the disciples. He says, guys, here's the deal. It's your job to tell about uh, the gospel in Judea, in Samaria. I tell you what, just for fun, let's throw in the entire world. You need to spread the gospel, the good news to the whole world. That's the plan. You 11 guys, you're the only ones I got in mind. And that's it. I'm out of here. And he leaves them. And now you got 11 scared guys. They have a huge mission. They're afraid they're going to be arrested next. And so they go into Jerusalem. Jesus told them to go and pray and wait. And so they go and they basically they hide in a room and they bring their friends, their relatives, and they hide. And then in Acts chapter 2, remember Pentecost comes and all kinds of stuff happens. There's this huge wind, sound of a wind. There's, there's fire that kind of appears on everybody's head. They start talking in a language that they don't understand. Everyone's talking in different languages. And then people start gathering outside their room when they hear all of this commotion going on. Peter hops up and for the first time in his life, he gives a public speech and thousands of people commit their life to Christ right there on the spot. Well, things just take off in a hurry in the first few chapters of Acts. Miracles are happening. Lame guys being healed. Hundreds of people, thousands of people are committing their life to Christ. 
Before you know it, the, the disciples are rock stars. I mean, they, everywhere they go, oh, that's Peter. Oh, that's John. Oh, that's James. And things are just rolling until a guy named Stephen starts preaching and starts talking about uh, how the Jews crucified Jesus and they don't like that. And they take Stephen. He's just a volunteer in the church. I mean, he basically, he, he parks cars or, he, or he's a greeter and, and, and he's a volunteer, but he's excited about Jesus. And they take him outside the city and they throw rocks at him until he's dead. They kill him. The church goes, whoa, what, what's going on here? About the same time, uh, uh, Ananias and Sapphira come and they tell Peter a lie about what they've done with some of their money and they're struck dead right there in the church. And then not very much long after that, in the same period of time, Herod arrests James, one of Jesus' main disciples, Peter, James, and John, arrests James and puts James to death. Then in the same period, a guy named Saul, who later is called Paul, he starts trying to stop the church. He starts arresting Christians. And some of these Christians are being put to death. All of a sudden, things get really, really wild. And people start leaving Jerusalem like crazy and start moving out all over Asia, trying to get away from the persecution that's going on. Well, now something really strange happens. Saul changes teams. I mean, he is after the Christians, he's arresting them, he's putting them to death. And then he has an experience where a light comes down from heaven. It knocks him off the donkey that he's riding on. He hears a voice. He commits his life to Christ. He switches jerseys. Now he's a Christian. And he, a guy named Barnabas comes along. And, and this guy named Barnabas starts this, uh, mentoring uh, Saul. And for several years, actually, Barnabas, Barnabas mentors Saul, teaches him about Jesus, teaches him about the gospel. And this guy Saul, we start calling him Paul. He becomes a missionary. He starts going out all over Asia. He's this incredible missionary and he's preaching to Gentiles, which the original 11 never thought that this message would go to Gentiles. But Paul starts speaking to Gentiles. They begin committing their lives to Christ. Uh, And then this big controversy shows up in the early Christian church. And half of the guys are saying, no, in order to be a Christian, you've got to follow the Jewish law. You have to be circumcised. And Paul's going, guys, that's not what Jesus taught. And if we make circumcision the, the sign of whether or not you're a Christian, this is going to really limit the mission. And so they all get together in Jerusalem. You remember this? And they have a big confab and a, a big conference and they decide, no, they don't have to become Jewish. They don't have to be circumcised. Just do these three or four things and we're cool. And they kind of kind of choose up teams a little bit. Peter it leads the team that it's going to preach to the Jews. And Paul leads the team that's going to preach to the Gentiles. And that's kind of the agreement that goes on. And Peter stays uh, basically focused on Jewish people. Paul focused on Gentiles. And then the rest of the book of Acts, we kind of focus on Paul's ministry. And we don't hear much more about Peter and the other disciples. And Paul's just this, this amazing missionary. He gets beaten He gets stoned, he gets shipwrecked, he gets thrown out of cities. He's like the Energizer missionary. He just keeps preaching and preaching and preaching. I mean, you you can't stop this guy until he goes back to Jerusalem. He's he's been on three missionary journeys. He goes back to Jerusalem. He's just going to hang out there for a little while. He's going to hang out with some of the other apostles. And the Jews find out Paul's there. They trump up a bunch of charges and they arrest Paul. And they, they have these fake charges and, and then Paul goes through a trial and he goes through another trial and he goes through another trial. He winds up stuck for two years, two whole years, not doing anything, just waiting to see what's next. But during these two years, on two different occasions, God confirms to Paul 
in an unmistakable way. He says, Paul, you are going to Rome. Your life quest, your dream, what you've always wanted to do is go to Rome to preach the gospel. And, 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 and Jesus affirms to Paul, you are going to Rome. Finally, the day comes. He's a prisoner, but at least he's going to Rome. And so they, they set sail for Rome. And that's what happened last week when Josh talked to us in Acts 27. They're headed to Rome. Paul's waited for this all his life. He's been through beatings and, and stoned and, and all this kind of stuff. And then on the way to Rome, what happens? His boat sinks. I mean, have you ever had one of those lives, you know, where things just don't work out the way you think? And I, they think that they're all going to be lost. Uh, an angel appears to Paul and says, no, you're going to survive. And so they, they start swimming for this island where their, where, where their boat has sunk. In fact, I think it was kind of like this. And the ship set ground on the shore of an, this uncharted desert isle with Gilligan. There's a whole, no, sorry. That was a different story. So it was a Gilligan's Island. It was an island called Malta. And that's where we pick up the story in Acts 28. And we'll, we'll take it through to the end. They come on shore of Malta. And if, in some versions, if you read Acts 28, it, it says that the people there are barbarians. And we think of, you know, primitive people, but they weren't primitive people. Anyone who didn't speak Greek in the ancient world were called barbarians. So these people were not Greek speaking, but they were very civilized. And when these guys come ashore, they have been in a storm for two weeks at sea. They have been in a shipwreck. They've had to swim for their lives. They're soaking wet. They're exhausted. And so these, the, the natives of the island come and they build a fire for them to, to warm up and to dry off. And as they're warming themselves around the fire, the fire starts to burn down. And Paul goes and he goes to get more firewood and a snake comes out of the pile of firewood and it attaches itself to Paul's, Paul's hand. And some versions, uh, some, some commentators say that this snake was the kind of snake that will kill you instantly. And so as soon as a snake uh, attaches itself to Paul, Paul shakes it off and the natives start watching. And they're just waiting for Paul to die. In fact, they say he was obviously a criminal because he survived the shipwreck, but the gods are still going to get him because the snake will kill him. And so can you imagine Paul's warming himself around the fire and all the natives are just sitting there watching, waiting for him to die. And you think he's going to, ooh, look, he's kind of turning. He, I think he's swelling up. No, he's just kind of fat. You know, I don't know. And they're, they're waiting for this guy to drop dead. And Paul doesn't die. And so they say, oh, he's not a criminal. He's a God. And Paul says, I'm not a God. I'm, ju- I'm just a man. And then he, he kind of shares, begins to share with them a little bit. And a guy comes to the fire and invites Paul to his house. The guy's name is Publius. And his title, I love his title. His job title is Chief Man. Hey, you like that? How many of you would take the, the job, Chief Man? I just want to be Chief. Go to work tomorrow and say, I don't want to be what you want. I'm Chief Man. Put it on my business card. He's Chief Man. And so Paul hangs with him for three days at his house. And the guy entertains Paul, takes care of him. And Publius's dad is sick. So Paul prays for his dad. This guy's dad is healed. Well, the natives on the island hear this. And they, wow. So they begin bringing sick people to Publius' house and Paul prays for him. And it says that all the sick people on the whole island are healed while Paul is there. Well, the people of the island love Paul. I mean, he becomes very popular and they stay for three months. The weather improves, another boat comes. And so they bring all the provisions Paul needs to make the journey to, to Rome with, with the other prisoners and the guards and all of that. And, and so they head on to Rome. And the rest of Acts 28 is kind of a travel log of every place they stop along the way. One of the places they stop, they find some Christians are already there. And so they, they spend a little time with, with the Christian brothers. And, and then eventually they get to Italy, to the continent. 
And as they are traveling on the continent, they, they get to a place that's 40 miles away from Rome. 40 miles away, some Christians have heard that Paul is coming and they, they walk all the way out, 40 miles, and they meet up with Paul and they want to escort him to Rome. They go a few miles, about five miles, and they come to a place called Three Taverns and more Christians meet him there, 33 miles from Rome. And so this, this band of Christians and Paul the prisoner and the Roman guards and, and other traveling companions are kind of a procession and they, they finally, Paul finally arrives in Rome. And when he gets there, he's under house arrest. And so he sends word to the Jewish leaders and he says, hey, I want to I meet with you guys like he always does. He tries to explain the gospel to them and, and they reject it. And Paul calls them a bunch of stiff-necked people and says, I'm done with you. I'm going to the Gentiles. And then Acts ends with this. This is the last verse of Acts. I think this is on your, your outline sheet. It says, I have lived there two, <clears throat> I'm sorry, he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him proclaiming the kingdom of God and, and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And that's how it ends. Two years under house arrest. He has to pay for his own expenses. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, he has a Roman guard chained to him. In fact, the way the Romans worked is they worked in four-hour shifts. So every four hours, a new guard would come, unchain the other guard, and then that guard would then chain him to Paul. Can you imagine two years same house, can't leave the house, a Roman guard chained to you every day. But look at the last line of Acts, the last words of Acts. What does it say? It says he preached the word with all boldness and without hindrance. I want you to underline that. All boldness without hindrance. What does that say? The story started with Jesus saying, guys, you got to spread this around the world. It ends with Paul in the capital of the world, the center of civilization. And he's preaching what Jesus told the guys to preach with boldness and without hindrance. Paul is chained to a house. He's chained to a guard, but he's free. He is free. How is that possible? How can Paul be free? Because Paul knew some things. First of all, Paul knew that other people could not imprison him. Other people could not imprison Paul. The jailers limited his movement, but they couldn't hold him down. They didn't stop him. They didn't even slow him down. While he was under house arrest, Paul wrote several books in the New Testament, one of them being Philippians. And he wrote in Philippians chapter 1, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord <clears throat> by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. In Paul's eyes, his imprisonment only enhanced his mission. Other people couldn't imprison him. Circumstances didn't imprison Paul. Shipwreck, snakebite, smelly guard, none of those things imprisoned him. They were inconveniences. He didn't enjoy them, but he never wavered from his life mission. <clears throat> you see, the reality is is that people and circumstances don't imprison us either. When I don't feel free, when you don't feel free, it's because we have built our own prison. Let me, let me illustrate it like this. Maybe this will help us all kind of understand. One of the things that we do is we imprison ourselves with things that we have done in the past. We worry about, we say, I don't know how many times I've heard people say, man, if you only knew the bad stuff I've done, if you knew the people I've hurt, 
the people I've let down, the, the mistakes that I've made. I've, I have lied. I have cheated. I have led people on. I, I had potential. I, I, I could have done something with my life and I've just made so many mistakes and hurt so many people and let so many people down. And I just, I can't know what it is to be free. And we build a prison out of our past. Another thing that we do is we, we talk about what's going on in our lives right now. You know, there's some of us that have said, you know, I, I need a change in my life. I need, I need something new. And so we've gone and we bought a house or we bought a boat or we bought a car. And, and now we are imprisoned by those bills that we have to pay for this thing that we, we couldn't afford. For some, we need an escape from our life and we wind up addicted. Maybe it's addicted to sex or we're addicted to our work or we're addicted to food or drugs or, or, or to alcohol. You know, Sherry and I this uh, past week, uh, we went out to eat and we went out to, to Sullivan's Island and, and it was an area where there's a lot of bars on Sullivan's Island. We were eating at one of the restaurants with a bar and I just noticed the scene that was going on around us. And it really was sad to observe from the outside because what I saw were a lot of guys who were pretending to be something that maybe they weren't really. And I saw a lot of ladies who were doing everything they could in the way they dressed, in the way they acted, in the way they flirted to get these guys who were pretending to be something they weren't to look at them and maybe make them feel better about who they were or didn't want to be. And as I watched, the overwhelming sense I got was a bunch of people who are imprisoned by an image that they're trying to keep up today by their present. And some of us are imprisoned by our past. Some of us are imprisoned by our present. And then some of us are just worried about the future. And, and, and we wind up imprisoned by what might happen, what could happen. You know, I've talked to a lot of young, young families, new parents, and and they're worried about, what if I mess up my kids? I mean, what if I, I, my parents weren't perfect. They made mistakes. I don't know that I can be a perfect parent. I mean, not everybody can be Jeff and Sherry Surratt, the ultimate parents. You know what I'm saying? Please don't talk to my kids. They have stories, okay? They have pictures and stories. But we worry about that, about what could happen in the future. What, what if something bad happens to my family? What if what if something bad happens at work? What, what if one of us gets sick? What, what if we don't have enough money? I mean, some of us can wind up in, in kind of worst case scenario thinking. Like, what if I really do a bad job preaching this weekend? I mean, it's real possible. I mean, worse than I normally do. What if I do a really bad job? And Greg comes back from his, from his sabbatical and he says, dude, I heard you speak and uh, that just doesn't cut it. We're, you're my brother and everything, but we're gonna have to let you go. And, and, and he fires me. And then I have to go home and I tell Sherry, and I say, I, I don't have a job anymore. And Sherry says, I love you, honey, but I need the Benjamins. So I'm going to have to let you go too. And, and then she, she throws me out. And then, and then they come and I don't have any money and I don't have a house and I don't have a wife and I don't have a job. And so they take my car away, which is really cruel because I don't owe anything on it. But they take it anyway because I just don't deserve a car. And then my kids say, Dad, you know, we liked you when you had a job and you had a car and you had a, a wife and stuff. But we really, could you just like not hang around us? And now, because I didn't speak well this weekend, I am now divorced and lonely and homeless and I don't have a car that I actually own. And this is awful. I mean, that's extreme, but we do that. We build these worst case scenarios about what our future could be. 
And we wind up in this prison of regret and bad choices and fear. And it's a prison that we build. How do we get out of this prison? How do we deal with this prison? Well, Paul is very, very specific, very open in his own life of how he got, how he gets out of this prison. And it comes down to one thing. It's very simple. And this message is not deep and it's not um, new, but it's very clear. Paul would say, you know what? We all have a past. We all make mistakes. We all fear what could happen in the future. The answer is not for that stuff not to happen. Paul says the answer is simple. It's the cross. He says it goes back to the cross of Jesus again and again and again and again. He says it's not about what you do. It's not about what you've done. It's not about what you'll do in the future. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. It's about the cross. In fact, look at Galatians chapter 6. It says this, For my part, I am going to boast about nothing but the cross of our Master, Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, I have been crucified in relation to the world, set free from the stifling atmosphere of pleasing others and fitting into the little patterns that they dictate. Can't you see the central issue in all of this? It's not what you and I do, submit to circumcision, reject circumcision. It is what God is doing, and He is creating something totally new, a free life. In Colossians, Paul writes very specifically about how this works. He says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Would you underline that? For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So what does that mean? Well, the the key is focus. As long as I'm focused on my past and what I did and what, who I hurt, as long as I'm focused on my present and what I'm doing and who I'm hurting and the mistakes I'm making, as long as I'm focused on my future and what might happen, I focus on my sin, my guilt, my fear, then I live in my prison. But when I change my focus... And I focus not on me, but I focus on the cross. My prison melts away. You see, Paul had a choice. Paul could easily have focused on his past. Paul made huge mistakes. Paul gave him the title of chief of sinners. He said, I have done worse things than you guys have even imagined, but I won't focus on that. Paul could easily have focused on his present. He, he was in bad, a bad place. He, he had to pay his own expenses. He was under house arrest. He, he was chained to a guard. It was bad. And he could have focused on that. Paul could have focused on his future. He didn't know what was coming. It could have been torture. It could have been death. Eventually it was. And that could have been where his focus was. But he chose instead to focus. He said, I will only talk about one thing. I am a one-track preacher. The cross, the cross, the cross. Not on what he had done. Not on what he was doing. Not what he might do in the future, but his focus was on this, on what Christ had already done. You see, Colossians says that we are dead in Christ. We are dead and our life is hidden in Christ. And because of that, we are free. 
Here's a phrase that you can remind yourself of this. Dead men don't wear chains. You see, every time you feel you're imprisoned and you're held down, you can remember, no, my life is hidden in Christ. I, my life is nailed to the cross with Jesus. Dead men don't wear chains. So how do I experience this freedom? How do I experience the freedom of the cross? Jesus, we go back to Jesus' words that we began with. Jesus said, if you abide in my word and you are truly my disciples, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus gives us two instructions. Number one, he says, abide in my word. You don't get this freedom by skimming through the Bible. You don't get this freedom by listening to these scriptures on on the weekend and just kind of passing through them. You have to abide in the word. You have to learn the word, live the word, memorize the word understand the cross. It's not easy. It's not simple. Theology is not just uh, 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 something you just pick up on a Sunday and move on. You have to really dig in, dive in. If you want to be free, if you want to really experience the kind of freedom that Paul experienced, you abide in the word. And then Jesus said, and know the truth. Abide in the word and know the truth. And what is the truth? Here's the truth. I am not condemned by my past. Would you say that with me? I am not condemned by my past. That's sad because you guys don't believe it. I can tell. It's just kind of like he said, say it, I'll say it, whatever. Let's try it again and let's say it with me, with feeling. I am not condemned by my past. I'd like all the campuses, if you're watching on the internet, let's say it one more time together. I am not condemned by my past. It's not about what you've done. It is not how bad you've been or the things you've done or the people you've hurt. Yes, there's recompense. There's all that kind of stuff, but that is not how you become free. You are not condemned by your past. If you're going to abide in the Word, you're going to start with Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. You're going to drill it into your mind because you have to know this stuff. What does Paul say? He says that uh, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. What does that start with? There is therefore now no condemnation. That is the truth. The second thing is that, it, that is true is I am not afraid of the future. I'm not afraid of the future. I don't know what the future will bring. I don't have a crystal ball. I can't predict my future. I can't predict your future. I can predict there's going to be some ups and there's going to be some downs. There's going to be some stuff that I didn't see coming. There's going to be some stuff that I'm excited about and stuff that makes me sad. Whatever it's going to be, a ride with Jesus is an adventure. It's going to be a roller coaster ride, but I'm not afraid of it. Why am I not afraid of it? Because my life is hidden in Christ. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, don't be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. The truth is I'm not condemned by my past. I'm not afraid of the future. I can approach life today with boldness and without hindrance. Have you heard that phrase before somewhere? Do you remember that phrase? That's the last phrase of Acts. That's the point of the Gospels and Acts. It all rolls up into one phrase. We can approach life with boldness and without hindrance. And how can we do that? Why can we do that? Because we are free. 
Let me pray for you. Jesus, it is only because, it is only because you came as a little baby, you lived a sinless life. You lived the innocent life that we could not live. You died willingly on a cross and paid the price for my sin, both past, present, and future. And it is in your sacrifice that I have freedom. And Lord, so I look only to the cross today. Lord, my freedom is not based on my action, my will, my direction. It is based only on your sacrifice. And so, Lord, I submit my life fully to you today. Lord, I pray for those who are listening today. Lord, I pray that they will uh, hear your word. Lord, I pray for those who have, have never committed their life to you. Lord, that have never said... Jesus, you are my Lord, you are my boss, who have never said, forgive me of my past and lead me in my future. Lord, I pray that today's that day that they experience the freedom in, in you. And Lord, I pray for those who have followed you and yet still live in this self-made prison day by day. Lord, I pray that today will be a day when they take it all to the cross and they leave it there and that they go out with boldness and without hindrance to live the mission that you created them to live. Lord, that's our prayer today. In Jesus' name, amen.